Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Good morning. Why don't you stand to your feet for the reading of the word? So grateful to be joining you this morning. If you're a guest with us this morning, we want to say welcome. Thank you for being here. These are the moments in our services where we come around the scriptures. We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today, so we take these moments every week to come to the scriptures to learn more about who God is and who Jesus is and how we call to respond with our lives to the saving message of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to open up to the book of Colossians. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry about it. We'll have them up on the screens. Let's begin to read this. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, Lord, come and do whatever it is that you would see fit for this moment. Lord, we pray that you would, that you would convince us deeply in the spirit of this word, that it would go deep into our hearts. Lord, limit the distractions in our minds right now so that we would be able to receive fully what it is that you want to deposit into our souls. And we thank you for what it is that you are going to speak to us today. In your precious and your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So D.L. Moody was an evangelist. And you might recognize the name Moody. Maybe you've heard of Moody Publishing. Some of you probably have a Moody published book at your house or maybe even the Moody Bible Institute. But one evening, a gentleman, after a meeting with Moody, he wanted to engage in further conversation. And so they went off to a fireside room and right in front of a big raging fire, they began to engage in a conversation. And the conversation that the man wanted to have with D.L. Moody was around the idea that he believed it was possible to be a Christian and not be connected to a local body of believers. The idea of of being a follower of Jesus, of, of participating in the salvation life, yet not being connected to the life of the church. And so as the gentleman began to try to make his case with D.L. Moody, Moody grabbed a fire poker and he grabbed one of the embers in the fire and he pulled it out of the fire onto the hearth And without saying a word, he just stared at it. And as the gentleman's talking, the gentleman's trying to make his case, make his argument, eventually the ember went completely out. 
And then the gentleman looked at, at D.L. Moody and said, you've made your point. <laughs> now, what was the point that he was trying to make? The point that he was trying to make is that you cannot do the Christian life alone. You cannot choose to follow the way of Jesus, but then also choose to disconnect yourself from the local body of believers. It does not work that way. It is too essential for the journey that we are all on together. Now, one of the things I think our minds go to first when we think about the importance of community is the idea of social connection. In fact, many of you might even be here this morning because you're longing for social connection. You're longing for friendship. You're longing for that aspect of community. And the, the reality is social connection is deeply important. And there are significant issues for us when we do not have that. In fact, the U.S. Surgeon General this past week released an advisory talking about his desire to address the epidemic of loneliness and isolation that is affecting our country. These were his words in the New York Times. This week, for the first time, I will be proposing a national framework to rebuild social connection and community in America. Loneliness, loneliness is more than just a bad feeling. When people are socially disconnected, their risk of anxiety and depression increases. So does their risk of heart disease by 29%, dementia 50%, and stroke 32%. The increased risk of premature death associated with social disconnection is comparable to smoking daily and may be even greater than the risk associated with obesity. Obviously, there are physical ramifications for us when we are not engaging in a community of social connection. And while I do believe that the local church should foster social connection... I believe that that connection should really only be a byproduct of an even greater purpose. That is not the essential reality as to why we engage together today, but it is part of what is happening. But I would propose to us this morning that the central task of the church is not social connection, but to create a community of transformed disciples who are on mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to the world. That is the essence as to why we are gathered here today. And what I want to do with our time this morning is to parse out together what I'm going to call a groundwork for a transforming community. Because in essence, that has to be the drive and the desire that we have to be here this morning. Not simply to develop relationship, not simply to be in friendship, but actually to begin to see our lives transform from the inside out through the power of the Spirit of God. And so in order to begin to experience transformation in our life, we need to engage in, again, what we are going to call a transforming community. And I want to do this by examining this passage that we read just moments ago. So the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, we'll go back to verse 1. He says, for I know, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me Face to face. Something that we will notice in the writings of the Apostle Paul, he has a deep desire for face-to-face -face connection. Uh, look at his letter to the church in Rome and to Thessalonica. He tells them that I long to see your face. 
When the Apostle Paul was telling the elders of the church in Ephesus that he was going to be leaving them to then go to Jerusalem, listen to what their response was. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his what? They would never see his face again. So face-to-face connection is essential for us as human beings, but we need to ask the question, why is that? To do that, I want to introduce you to an individual named Jim Wilder, who has a master's degree in theology and a doctorate in psychology. He is described by many as a neurotheologian who has spent much time studying the intersection between spiritual formation and how our brain works. And so he says in his writings that face-to-face interaction is essential for us, and it helps us to experience relational joy. Listen to his words in his book, Joy Starts Here. From the moment we are born, joy shapes our chemistry, structure, and growth of our brain. Joy lays the foundation for how well we will handle relationships, emotions, pain, and pleasure throughout our lifetime. Joy creates in us an identity that is stable and consistent over time. Joy gives us the freedom to share our hearts with God and others. Expressing our joyful identity creates space for others to belong. Joy gives us the freedom to live without mask because in spite of our weakness, we know we are loved. We are not afraid of our vulnerabilities or exposure. Joy gives us the freedom from fear to live from the heart that Jesus gave us. We discover increasing delight in becoming the people God knew we could be. And so a transforming community is going to need relational joy. Now, what does that practically look like? Dr. Alan Shore from UCLA, he defines joy in a very unique way. And I want you to key in as to how he defines it. He says, joy is someone who is glad to be with me. That experience of realizing that someone is glad to be with you, being the sparkle in someone's eye. When I read that in a book a couple of months ago, it made me think about my son, August. He's seven months old, and one of my most favorite things to do right now is when he's in his little bouncer in the living room, whenever I walk into that room and he catches my eye, he just lights up. Like, he cannot help. His whole body is just, he's, ah. I find myself finding reasons to leave the room just to come back (laughs) to have that experience. Because in that moment, as we make eye contact and his body is responding and his smile on his face, I realize that he is glad to be with me. That I am providing him this sense of joy and it's this beautiful thing that's happening for both of us because my heart is just bursting as I see his face. Think about that for just a moment as we talk about our community here at Calvary. I mean, what would it be like for us to be engaged in one another's lives to where when you would enter in on a Sunday morning or into your life group or whatever other situation that we might find ourselves in and that your eyes would meet another's in the community and you would just light up because you are happy to be with them. Imagine what that would begin to do for us when you would walk into a place and realize They want me here. They're happy to see me. They're glad to see me. There's something sparking within me. Now, with that definition of joy, I want to read a blessing over you. 
a blessing that many of you have heard before, but maybe it'll just have a little bit of a different hit this time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Michael Hendricks, who is the author of a book called The Other Half a Church, in light of Score's definition of joy, he paraphrases this passage in this way. May you feel the joy of God's face shining on you because he is happy to be with you. Some of us this morning needs to ponder that and understand that and realize that God is happy to be with you. Despite where you feel like you have fallen short, despite your mistakes, that God's face is towards you, focused on you. There should be a deep sense of joy in the midst of that realization. And we need to increase in this transformed community this idea of joy, but not just joy. There are multiple other things that need to be added to this groundwork. Let's continue in verse two. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, friends, a transforming community does not only need joy, it also needs to be a community of love. And first and foremost, we need to be able to abide and rest in the love and the assurance that we have of God's love. Before you even try to begin to grow in love, to become a person of love, to try to bestow love upon one another within the transforming community, you first have to be still and rest in the reality that God loves you. And God's love for you is not just in spoken word or things that we read in the scriptures, but it is manifest in action. It manifests when God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to, to help the, the sinful condition of humanity. That we could be washed by the blood of Jesus to receive the free gift of salvation. That is how God manifests and showed his love to us. And friends, we need to take time every day just to sit and to ponder that reality. It is essential for us to understand the great love that God has. That everything that you have done, every sin that you have ever committed, if you would put your faith in Jesus, confess that sin, and re receive that forgiveness, it is no longer part of your story. In the sense of it does not dictate your future. It's part of your story and has dictated who you've become, but guess what? God will come and restore even that. And we need to, as a community, to rest in his love. Jim Wilder, who we talked about just a moment ago, he says that development in modern brain science has made it clear that any model of transformation and character change must be anchored in the development of a love bond with God and his people. So rest in his love today. Abide in his great love for you. But secondly, it's not just about res responding and receiving God's love. It's also about what do we do with that great love? We need to give and to receive love within this transforming community. One commentator would say that without love, a church ceases to be the church. 
that it is essential for us to, as we've postured ourselves receiving God's love, that we would then give love to others in the community, but also be able to receive love. Some of you in this room, you are hindering your ability to receive love because of what you've told yourself as to who you are. You have told yourself the lie over and over that you do not deserve to be loved. And I think it's time for many just to release that to the Lord and begin to allow love to wash over you, first from God and then to allow this community to appropriately love you well. I mean, the scriptures talk all of the time about the importance of this. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Or Peter said it this way, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. See, a, a transforming community is not predicated on shared interests, but on shared love. And see, many of us, we look for relationship and we look for community based upon shared interest. Oh, you like that? Good. Then we can engage in life together. Last night, there was a gentleman over here with a Mariner's hat on, and there was a gentleman over here with the audacity to wear a Yankee's hat. <laughs> and these two individuals, they see baseball differently. And so more than likely, they may not invite one another over to their homes to watch a game together because they, I'm, I'm for this team, you're for that team. But see, friends, we do that all the time in the church. We are looking for people who share our interests. I want to be in a group, but it has to meet on Mondays and they can go only on you know, hiking and I don't like to do this. Listen, you need to listen to the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his book, Life Together, he says it this way. Community is not an ideal to be realized, but it is a reality to participate in. And I'm just telling you that around this room right now is so much opportunity to participate in a reality that is already happening. You just have to enter in. And don't just look for those who have a shared interest or look like you or same age group as you. Can I be honest with you? It's so funny to me when young families say, yeah, I wanna only do community life with young families. Do you know how miserable it is to get young families together all the time? <laughs> I say that lovingly, but like, you're never gonna do a study. It's chaotic and it's hectic. Wouldn't it be, it'd be beautiful to see the community of different generations coming together? The older sitting with the new families to say, yeah, I remember that. It was pretty horrendous, but we'll be praying for you. <laughs> Don't chase after some ideal that you have in your mind. Just participate in the beautiful reality of this community that we have right here in front of us. Now, Paul's about to tell us that this whole idea of increasing joy, increasing love, being knit together in these things, it actually serves a unique purpose. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. See, part of this transforming community helps us to press back against that which wants to delude our faith. A transforming community should encourage and strengthen a culture of critical thinking. It should help us to identify false teachings, destructive ideologies, and cultural moments and movements that attempt to delude our discipleship to Jesus. 
And there is a lot out there in the world today that wants to delude your discipleship to Jesus. That wants to say, yeah, yeah, you can do the church thing, but also how about this? Let's add this into this. Let's add this. And then we have this smorgasbord of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's not the reality of what God has called us to. And so we as a transforming community have to be so set on what it is that God calls us into. There's a firmness of faith that he mentions to them. There's a foundation in which we need to stand on. And in order to do this well, it's not just about joy, it's not just about love, but it's the reality that we need to have a shared group identity. A transforming community has a shared group identity. Listen to what he says in verse six. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See, a transforming community, it learns It cultivates and it participates in a shared character identity formed by the whole of scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the teachings of Christ, the teachings of the apostles. We actually begin to go into the scriptures and begin to understand the types of people that we are called to become. We look at the commandments, we look at the teachings, and we begin to submit to them and we say, this is God's vision for us as human beings. Now, friends, let's come together and Identify and to call this our shared group identity. See, he says, as you received, so live. As you were rooted, be built up. As you were taught, be established in truth. But one thing we need with this this shared group identity is also the willingness to, as a transformed community, begin to provide for one another healthy challenge and healthy correction. See, it's one thing to have a shared group identity where we come around the scriptures, we see the person of Jesus, we see the fruit of the spirit, we see the ways that we are called to act, the ways that we are called to live. It's one thing to say that, okay, yeah, that sounds good, But what happens when I begin to drift from that? Who's going to be part of the transformed community who will lovingly, with the right heart posture, come alongside me to say, hey, Daniel, you've drifted. We said that this was going to be our identity. We said that this was going to be the way that we would live out our lives. I love what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia. He says, you were running so well. I love how he starts with some encouragement. But then he says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? See, we need some people in this community to say that very, hey, you were running so well, what happened? What's hindering you? And then create space where we can enjoy and love, engage with one another, to call one another up. Because as the Proverbs would tell us, whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. You know, I actually myself got to experience some healthy correction and challenge yesterday. We've been having some stuff taking place with our house right now. And those of you who are homeowners, you know that owning a home is really great and it's also terrible (laughs) at the same time. And so we've been navigating some stuff that we're trying to, oh, it's just, it's a mess right now. And I gotta be honest with you, I haven't handled it all that well. 
See, I'm someone, I love order. I'm a, probably a little OCD. I like things to be a very certain way. I'm a rhythm person, right? I'm the type of person that before I go to bed, I go out to the table and I lay out my Bible and my formation journal and my AirPods and my pen is straight and my computer's ready for after my devotions and like I can go to bed once that's done. This week's been hard for me because I haven't got to do that. And so yesterday morning, I just was a little off Said a couple things I shouldn't have said. And my wife looked at me, and with love in her eyes, she said, You need to go. <laughs> Not like forever, <laughs> just, just, you need to go. And then she said, Listen, you need to go be with Jesus. I think in a lot of ways she knew, you know, she knows I'm preaching this weekend. And she knows he needs some time to get his heart right. He needs some time to engage with the spirit of God. So you need to go. So she sent me to my mom's house. (laughs) He's your problem, Peggy. Have him back. So I went up to my parents. I did exactly what she told me to do. I went up to my parents' house. And uh, I went up to one of the upstairs bedrooms. I brought my Bible with me and my formation journal. And what's so interesting is that, isn't it crazy that when life goes a little bit sideways, typically the first thing that goes is your devotional time? So I got up to that room, opened up my formation journal, and I did the three days that I had missed this week. And then I did the prayer of examine. That was fun. Where have you experienced frustration this week? (laughs) Oh, I'll tell you where I've experienced frustration. Where have you experienced failure this week? What do you need to confess? Where do you need to receive forgiveness? Okay. And then one of the other things she told me, she's like, you need to just take a nap. I feel like Elijah in the Old Testament, right? You need to eat something and take a nap. You're being too dramatic. So I just turned on some of the neoclassical music I like, and I just laid on the bed for like an hour and a half. My point in sharing any of that is I'm grateful for a wife who will provide for me healthy correction and challenge. I'm grateful for someone who knows my heart and knows my desire and knows that I wanna be a man after God's own heart, knows that I wanna engage in this life well, become more the person that God's called me to be. And when I begin to drift, she says, hey, it's time to go back to Jesus. And friends, we need to provide that for one another in the context of this community. We do it in love. We do it with grace. We check our own motives beforehand. But as we begin to get off-centered a bit, I wanna know that we will lovingly come alongside and say, hey, it looks like you're, you're looking at this a way that might be different than what the word of the Lord would say. Can we talk about that? Can we engage that together? Now, again, as Paul talked about joy and love, and then he gave kind of a reason as to why this is important, he does the exact same thing after talking about this reality. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, come into this walking with Christ. Come into this understanding of the shared identity. Come into helping to correct and to challenge one another. 
Because there are philosophies out there, as we said earlier, that want to delude your faith. When he uses the term philosophy here, he's talking about human ideas that exclude the authority of God. And we are just surrounded by human ideas that exclude the authority of God. And so a transforming community becomes a support structure to one another for godliness and holiness with a clear vision, mission, and calling. A transforming community rids itself of gloom and fear and becomes filled with joy and love. A transforming community rids itself of passivity and lukewarm Christianity and becomes committed to a shared group identity and is willing to challenge and correct one another when we drift. Because there are a lot of ideologies out there right now. There are a lot of people interested in telling you who you are or who you ought to be. And we as the church who profess faith in Jesus, we have to be willing to understand what those are and also be willing to stand firm in what we know ours is. but we're only going to be able to do that in the midst of a transforming community. In the midst of a group of people who are all on the same page, walking after the same way of life. And so what I wanna do for our last few minutes together is I want to give some practical things to engage in to help to see these things begin to manifest in our community here. For example, let's talk about this idea of of love. Right, what, what practically could we do just to increase in that? I wanna, I wanna say it this way. Take some time this week and contemplate God's love for you. I know that might not seem like some dramatic thing to do, but I'm telling you, it is transformative. Just contemplate God's love for you and your call to love others. Begin to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what would it look like for me to love others well this week? Could you just give me a clear vision, maybe even implant certain people in my minds who need to experience love this week? You could read and respond to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, I suggested doing it in the study style of Lectio Divina. Uh, Lectio Divina is just, it's a lot more uh, contemplative and reflective. You don't just read the text and try to find something and blast through it. It's supposed to be a slower process. The four R's of Lectio would be to read the text, to reflect on it, to respond in prayer, and to rest. You know, it's so funny, 1 Corinthians 13, it's, you know, it's the love passage. Love is patient, love is kind. And it's interesting because, you know, we always read that at weddings, but I don't even know... uh, what the Apostle Paul would even think if that's the context or maybe the only context where we'd read that. I mean, he wrote that to a community of believers. That's for us. That the love that we have for one another must be patient. It must be kind. So read that and just meditate on that this week. Uh, For a shared group identity, read the Ten Commandments found in the Old Testament. Read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew Read Ephesians 5, read Galatians 5. Immerse yourself in the conditions of our shared group identity. As you go through the scriptures, when you, know, you see the word of the Lord and speaking to certain characteristics, certain attitudes that we need to have, that's part of our group identity. Write those things down. This is the type of person I ought to be becoming. For the challenge and correction, 
ask others in our transforming community the following question. What is God speaking to you and what are you going to do about it? I'm almost certain that that phrase comes out of a book called Building a Discipling Culture by Mike Breen. So what is God speaking to you? Have you ever noticed that a lot of times Christians, you know, in the church, we love to talk about what God's speaking to us. Oh yeah, God's just speaking to the Holy Spirit. Cool, what are you gonna do about it? See, that's the part we're not as confident to talk about. Well, yeah, we'll read the scriptures and like, we'll go on Facebook and we'll tell everybody else, hey, this is what the scripture says. Great, what are you gonna do about it? What does that mean in your context? How are you going to operate in that way in your everyday life? Now, lastly, I wanna talk about joy for just a couple moments. I mentioned this book earlier, The Other Half of Church by Michael Hendricks. And you know, this book has been, it's been wrecking me. In fact, there's an individual in our community who's here in this service. I won't point her out right this moment, but she's the one who actually gave me the book. And I'll be honest with you, when anybody ever hands me a book, it always makes me a little bit nervous. My fear is I'm gonna like flip it over and say, how to preach better <laughs> or whatever it's gonna <laughs> But this was a incredible book. It talks a lot about the things that we have been discussing today. And in the end of the book, it gives you some super practical things to do. And one of the things it talks about is what they call a 30-day joy challenge. And when I read this, I thought to myself, I'm not going to do it just yet because if I get a chance to preach on this idea, I'm gonna wait and invite others to do it with me. So that's what I'm gonna do right now. Now, this all centers around the idea of gratitude, Right, gratitude is, is the language of joy. And so if you have like a notebook, go ahead and open up a notebook, or you can open up your phone, just don't go on Instagram, go right to the notes page on your, your app. This will be also in our church app. You can download the We Are Calvary app and this will be in there. And I think we also might even post something later this week. So if you miss it. But here's what I want you to do for a moment. Think of a memory in your life for which you are grateful. It can be big like the birth of a child or small, a beautiful sunset. It doesn't matter as long as you feel gratitude when you think about it. Now, once you have that, give it a two or three word title, just something that you'll remember it by. So for example, for me, I I wrote out my 10 probably about a month ago. One of mine is Donner Lake Dock. That means nothing to you, but it means everything to me. When I say that phrase, I know exactly what that means. I know that place, I can sense it now. I can imagine sitting there with my dad, fishing as a young kid, looking at the mountain range around the beautiful clear lake. Just an experience of being with my father and being with my heavenly father. So ponder that and give it a two to three Word title. Now in a quiet place, go back into this memory and relive it for a moment like you are back in it. Do exactly what I just did. Sitting at the dock, feet in the water, fishing line in the water. I mean, just sense where you're at. And ask, what did you feel in your body? Maybe peace or maybe lightness? What might God be communicating to you through this memory and the peace you feel? 
Now, the first part of this is called phase one, and it's just attempt to five minutes a day to have these times of gratitude. Start compiling a list of grateful memories as described above. Each memory has two characteristics. You feel gratitude in your body and you feel a connection with God in your memory. Eventually, you want to list of at least 10 grateful memories. Right? I've got, you know, Donner Lake Doc. I have Astoria, Otto, August. Those are all my kids. Uh, One of them is the Biltmore Pool. Again, that means nothing to you. But the Biltmore Pool was a pool in my community when I lived in Southern California. And it's where all of me and my cousins used to swim every day in the summer. And my uncles and my aunts would be there and they really showcased what it meant to be loved by people. So when I think about that pool, it just like my heart begins to burst. So spend once a day, five minutes residing in gratitude using your list. Now, this is where the 30-day comes in. Phase two is to spend five minutes of gratitude a day, but three times a day for 30 days. So you wake up in the morning and you work through your 10 for five minutes. In the afternoon, when you know everyone else is doing their lunch break, you're in the back corner just going through your gratitude moments. It could be fun to see what people think of this. And then in the evening time, another five minutes. So 15 minutes a day spread out in three ways. Now here's what they say in the book. If you are consistent to do this for 30 days, some point in that 30-day period, your brain will reset to joy. I don't know. I think it's worth a shot. (laughs) So here's what I want to do. We're going to create some space right now in our service. The team's just going to kind of play over us for the next, you know, four minutes or so. And I don't want you to try to compile all 10 of them. Okay, when I did this, it took me about an hour to put together all 10 of them. And it was, I just, I cried throughout it. But just try to think of the one. and Give it a title. And then just spend the next four minutes just thinking about that. Reliving that moment. What was, what's God maybe speaking to me in this moment? What was he revealing to me in this moment? Really get to that place of deep sense of gratitude. And then the team's gonna sing and we'll stand and we'll respond. And what I'd encourage you to do is over the next day or two, come up with the rest of your 10. And as soon as you can, try to go for 30 days. Worst comes to worst, we're all a little bit more joyful. Let's have this time together. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.